Tonight's topic, like all the topics we've been looking at this term, is an important one and it's sometimes an emotional one for people as well. It's the topic of singleness. So I'm going to do my best to be uh, biblical, uh, to be clear and to be sensitive. Also, I should mention that during the course of my sermon, I'm going to be touching on topics relate, relating to the issue of SEX. So if you're watching online or here with someone who you don't want to actually listen to that sort of stuff, uh, it would probably be good to um, you know, switch off or um, quietly adjourn. <laughs> well, let me pray for us that if, as we have our time together. Heavenly Father, we do pray you'd help us to think well and wisely about the topic this evening. Help us to know your mind on things and help us to live in accordance with that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think a photograph is about to come up on the screen behind me. Uh, that is a picture of me 18 years ago. I was a single man and uh, within a year of that photograph being taken, I was married and I was speaking at my reception. And in the reception of the speech at my wedding reception, I said, well, look, I guess I always expected to get married in my 20s. I guess getting married in, the thir in my 30s isn't that much different. Now, the humour of the situation was that the people who were there who knew me well knew me that I wasn't just in my 30s, I was 39. And I wasn't just 39, I was 39 years and 11 months and a number of days. I was about as close to 40 as you could be without actually being uh, 40. So, if you've done the maths, you realise that I lived the 30, first 40 or so years of my life as a single person. And if you want to do some more maths and you figure out that I got married just over 17 years ago, you'd work out that I've been single for approximately 70% of my life. So most of you know me as being married with kids, but most of my life has not been like that. Now, uh, of course, I don't know what it's like uh, to be um, a single woman. I don't know what it's like to be single and over the age of 40. I don't know what it's like to be single after a death or, or a divorce. I don't know what it's like to be single and experience same-sex attraction. But I have spent um, the vast majority of my life uh, trying to live out my Christian faith in the context of being single. So I think that might have been one of the reasons why Steve asked me to preach on this topic. Anyway, the topic of singleness is a significant and a sensitive one. It's significant, firstly, because of the amount of people in our culture who are single. Uh, there were some Australian Bureau of Statistics stats from 2017 which says that 25% of households in Australia are single-person households. But it's also a sensitive topic as well uh, because being single can bring its challenges. Uh, some people are happily single, some people are more neutrally single, some people are not particularly happy about sing being single and they might think, what's wrong with me, what's God's doing, why has this happened to me, it's not fair etc, etc. People may miss the hoped-for idea of companionship and intimacy and, and family, but for the Christian, it's not just a question of being single that is the issue, it's being single and celibate. Because already in this series, we've seen that sex is a good gift of God, created by God, to be expressed in a male-female marriage. So, if you're Christian and single, and you're seeking to live in, the, in accordance with God's teaching, um, you'll be Christian, single and celibate. And in today's highly sexed up culture, that may not be the easiest thing for everyone. So, whether we're single or not, what we want to do tonight is to think about singleness, 
both for ourselves, should it be relevant to us now, or it may be relevant to us at some point in the future, but also as we seek to support and encourage others who may be single as well. Now, hopefully you've picked up a sermon outline on the way in, and you can see, firstly, I want to think about what the Bible says about singleness, sorry, what society says about singleness, then, secondly, what the Bible says about singleness, and then, finally, just a few thoughts on living Christianly as and with single people. So, firstly, what does society say about singleness? Now, you've probably heard me say it before, that in contemporary culture, Western culture, is one which prioritises ideas of autonomy and authenticity. Heard me say that before? Autonomy, do what you want to do, authenticity, be who you want to be. And in today's do what you want to do, be what you want to be uh, world, ideas of individualism, um, expressing our feelings, uh, expressing ourselves generally and sexuality have taken absolute centre stage. And so, expressing ourselves sexually with whom we want, when we want, how we want and why we want is seen as basically a right and a freedom which we have in our culture. Now, in this sort of world in which we live, being single is fine. There's nothing wrong with it, according to Western culture. In fact, there was a prominent British broadcaster by the name of Mariella Frostrup, who once said, singleness provides solvency, great sex and a guilt-free life. You've got your money, you've got your career, you've got your sex, you've got your toys, you've got your flexibility, you've got your freedom. Why wouldn't you want to be single? It's a good life, isn't it? Singleness is fine considered by many in our contemporary culture. But, while singleness is fine, celibacy is considered to be absolutely crazy. You see, sex is considered to be so central to who we are today, that not to engage in it regularly outside the context of marriage, if you're not married, is almost beyond comprehension for many people. Back in 2005, there was a movie which I didn't go and see because it annoyed me, uh, called The 40-Year-Old Virgin. I never saw it, but the, obviously the premise of the film, and I've, I've read Wikipedia about this, the premise of the film was that the idea of being 40 years old and a virgin was absolutely laughable. It was comedic. And the movie was about that, and obviously they were trying to cure this guy of his affliction in the movie, I, I, I take it. Now, uh, I guess the idea there is that the view of that culture behind that movie is that you can't be fully human unless you're expressing yourself sexually and regularly. So, to encourage people to abstain from sex until they're married, to keep sex for marriage, where it's best expressed, is seen as being not just cruel, but actually positively harmful. The view of contemporary culture. Now, uh, you might sort of think, well, is this all new, this highly sexed up culture? Well, um, celibacy and uh, singleness would have been a challenge in the first century culture as well, the time in which the New Testament was written. Uh, the ancient world was the world of the Roman Empire, and that was also a pretty sex-obsessed culture as well. Now, the, the lingua franca of the Roman Empire, the you know, thing which was pretty much spoken everywhere, was Greek. And I understand that there are an enormous number of words in ancient Greek for sexual relations. Why? Because it was clearly of great interest and obsession in the first century Roman culture. Uh, prostitution was big, it was part of the religious rites at many temples, ancient temples, and uh, the temple of Aphrodite at Corinth apparently had a thousand prostitutes at some point. Now, you know, it's quite a different world to the one in which we live, isn't it? Uh, heterosexual and homosexual sex outside marriage was common, it was often non-consensual, uh, often involving slave boys and slave girls and younger men and women of lower caste or class who had um, 
well, that's much less power to refuse. Um, and so we might sort of think, oh, you know, the, the Christian sexual ethics today are pretty out of, out of touch with the 21st century. It could equally have been said that they were out of touch with the 1st century as well. Christian ethics here are countercultural. I think they've pretty much always been countercultural. Um, and so, uh, you know, I just note that for our assistance. So, of course, uh, the challenges today for a, a single person is not just, though, the fact that if you're a Christian, you won't want to be engaging in sex, but also there's obviously the desire for companionship, there's the desire for intimacy, there's a desire for, to some extent, sadly, social acceptance, and also there's the desire for children as well. Quite a lot of uh, issues there. So, let's think, well, what does the Scriptures say? What does the Bible say about singleness? Now, here we want to make sure, as with all issues, that our thinking is shaped by God's Word, not by our surrounding culture. Now, our surrounding culture has lots of good things to say about all sorts of things, but it has some pretty rubbish things to say as well. So, we want to make sure that our thinking on singleness is Christian thinking on singleness. Now, the first thing I'd like to point out, the Bible very clearly teaches that marriage is good and singleness is good. Both are good. So, in recent weeks, we've been thinking about marriage and sex and sex within marriage and those sorts of things. It's a good gift from God. It's all good. Okay, but what we need to think about tonight is the fact that being single is also good, according to Scripture. Now, throughout Christian history, I think sometimes singleness has been overrated and underrated. So, perhaps in the Middle Ages, when there were a lot of uh, monks and nuns around, perhaps singleness was seen as was overrated, like you're up on a higher, you know, spiritual plane if you were single and a monk or a nun or something. But perhaps in the 20th century, when, you know, family was big, 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 singleness was underrated, perhaps, in the church. What we need to realise here is that, according to the Scriptures, both marriage and singleness are both, both good. Now, some people may choose to be single for good reason. So, Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 19 and He gets to verse 12 and He says, there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the Kingdom of Heaven. He's basically saying that some may choose to live as single and abstain from sex uh, as a single person for the sake of, for example, Christian service or some sort of Christian ministry. Now, whether we are single by choice or single by circumstance, the passage we had read to us tonight from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 24 through to 35 has a number of helpful things to say here as well. Now, the first part of that passage seemed to describe a time of crisis that the Corinthians were going through and Paul seems to be suggesting that in this time of crisis, if you're not married, probably best not to get married because of the crisis which was going on. And then, as the passage goes on, he starts to speak more generally and in verses 32 to 34, he says as follows, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of, his, of this world, how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. He then goes on to make similar comments about unmarried and married women uh, as well. I think the idea he's making here is that if you are a Christian and single, it does allow one a certain focus, time and flexibility for ministry that you wouldn't have if you were married. <laughs> Consider Jesus he wasn't married and he had a pretty flexible ministry. I don't think at any point did Jesus have to think to himself, oh dear, but I've got to stop now teaching, guys, I've got to get home in time for dinner. 
or he didn't have to sort of go about his business and think, hold on, am I in the school pickup today or not? You know, do I have to go get the kids? Or he didn't have to think about, gee, what are my wife and kids going to do once I get crucified? And he didn't have to think about, look, if my enemies can't get me, are they going to go after my family? None of those things were concerns, I guess, for him. Similar things could be said about the Apostle Paul as well. You know, the fact that they were single gave them that certain flexibility and focus they probably wouldn't have had otherwise. Now, if you play um, Sermon Bingo when I'm preaching and you know the four people I quote most uh, in my sermons, you know the four people I quote most are C.S. Lewis, John Stott, Billy Graham and Corrie ten Boom. Did you realise that two of them were single, John Stott and Corrie ten Boom? And I suspect that their wide-ranging international ministries of great significance over an extended period of time would probably not have been possible to the extent that it was if they'd been married. It gave them that sort of flexibility. Let me speak at a far more humble level um, because there were lots of ministries which I did uh, before I was married as a single person which I would have found much more difficult to do if I'd been married. So back in the 1990s I was at a church at North Sydney, I was a lay person, I was working and I um, started up the young adults ministry at that church, which grew from being fairly small to fairly big over a few years very quickly. Now, that ministry involved me in lots of, you know, late nights, lots of meetings, lots of meeting up with people, you know, young adults, etc, etc. And I don't think I could have managed that if I'd been married with kids. But the fact that I was single at the time gave me that flexibility that I could actually have the time uh, to do that. Now, having said that, since I've got married, that has opened up other areas of ministry for me, and it's closed a few down, it's just different now. But the point to make here is when I was single, there were things I could do which I probably couldn't do uh, quite as effectively uh, now. Now, when we get to the end of this uh, today's reading, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 35, Paul sort of ties it together and makes the big point that I think he wants to make at the end. He writes in verse 35 that he wants people to live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So, I guess the big point there was, whether we're married or single, we want to live in undivided devotion to God. Now, another biblical truth that can help us uh, here, as we think about the topic of singleness, is one which was, I think I preached on here in the first week of this series, which is that of identity. And the big thing to remember, whoever we are as Christians, is that ultimately our identity is found in Christ, regardless of what our circumstances are. So, for example, in Galatians 3.28, it tells us that if we're Christians, we're all one in Christ Jesus. doesn't matter whether we're male, female, young, old, rich, poor, married, not married, from this ethnic background, from that ethnic background, whatever. If we're Christians, we're all one in Christ Jesus. Our ultimate identity and worth comes from the fact that God created us, God loves us, Jesus died for us and will be with Him forever. And whatever your life as a single person or as a married person or whatever scenario you're in person is, um, that is where we get our ultimate identity and significance from and that can never change, our circumstances can change but that can never change. Uh, and I think that's something rather which is uh, very helpful for all of us uh, to reflect on. So, perhaps uh, now, uh, thirdly, just a few thoughts on living Christianly as and with single people. Now, the first draft of my sermon would have gone for about 50 minutes. Uh, I'm not going to subject you to that, you're 25 as usual. Uh, so, I've cut quite a bit out and if there's something you wanted me to address, which I'm not going to address, I'm very happy to chat to you about it afterwards. But here are a few thoughts which I will try and pre present as helpfully as possible. Firstly, what if you don't want to be single? Well, uh, this is clearly something rather that can, that can be very challenging uh, for people. Now, when I was in my 30s, whereas I was relatively content, 
as a single person. If someone had asked me, would you rather be married? I would have said, yes, I would have rather been married than single. I read an article of a Christian woman who expressed the following. She wrote, over the decades, I've attended the countless bridal showers, wedding ceremonies, baby showers and anniversary parties. Again and again, I celebrated my friend's milestones while waiting for my own happy ending. As I passed 40, then neared 50, my singleness felt like grief. You can get that, I think, can't you? Yeah, you can imagine that be a, a real challenge. Now, most of us have a desire for companionship and intimacy and romance and sex and children and family and a place in society as husband or wife or parent or whatever. Uh, we may find ourselves in the first half of our life watching our friends getting married. We may find ourselves in the second half of our life still not married or we were married but we're no longer married and we miss the things which went with marriage. Now, if these are your circumstances or the circumstances of someone who is near and dear to you, um, here are just a few thoughts and they are brief and I'd like to talk about all of them for longer but, you know, we're limited by time. The first one is, and I'll just pretend I'm talking to you, uh, is to remind yourself that our identity is ultimately in Christ. That's where we get our identity and worth from. It's in Christ, the things I said earlier, not whether we're married or not. Secondly, you may think that no one knows how you feel and you are possibly right. No one may know how you feel, I may not know how you feel but the encouraging message of Scripture is that God knows how we feel. And the Bible reassures all of us that God knows us better than we know ourselves, He knows how many hairs are on our head which is more than we know about ourselves, that's in Matthew chapter 10 and then in um, Psalm 34 we read that God is close to the brokenhearted. Now those very two verses I've just uh, mentioned to you have been very helpful to me at various points in my life and so I just want to say that God is close to us and knows how we feel if we're struggling in this or any other area for that matter. Uh, thirdly, uh, prayer is important, it, there's absolutely nothing, no reason why we shouldn't pray that God would give us someone to marry if it's His will but whatever the case or the outcome is, I think we want to pray for contentment. You see, contentment is such an important quality to have. We can be discontent about so many things, not just not being married, but we might be discontent about our marriage, we might be discontent about our job, we might be discontent about some other broader family scenario. But Paul writes to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so, if you're wanting to think of a quality to pray for yourself or others, um, contentment is a good one to pray for. Fourthly, I'd say, whatever our situation, we need to get on with doing our best to serving God in the situation He has placed us in. Now, this will be a good place to mention the quote, gift of singleness. Now, Paul refers to this gift back in uh, verse 7 uh, of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, it's before the reading started tonight, what is this gift of singleness? Now, it seems to me that it's not some sort of superpower coping mechanism which suddenly makes being single something you're very happy about. That's contentment. Um, a noted American pastor by the name of Tim Keller, many of you may have heard of, um, wrote about the gift of singleness as follows and I think what he says is very good. In his writings, Paul always used the word gift to mean an ability that God gives to build others up. The giftedness of being single for Paul led in the freedom it gave him to concentrate on ministry in ways 
that a married man could not. So the gift of singleness simply seems to be the fact that being single gives a person opportunities to serve God in a ways that perhaps if you were married you wouldn't be able to. Um, and I guess I gave those some examples earlier of how that might have been true for me and more significantly for Corrie ten Boom and John Stott and Jesus and Paul. And the fifth thing I'd say is um, if you're single, do your best to stay connected with people. Uh, so throughout my 20s and 30s, I deliberately kept up a good circle of friends, people who were you know, Christian friends, non-Christian friends, married friends, people who weren't married, um, all sorts of things. Uh, I found that very enjoyable and helpful and I hope they did too. Now, what about if you are married and you're the friend or parent of a single person who is dear to you? Can I say, encourage that person with the sorts of things I would suggest that I've been talking about tonight. Don't say things like, oh, when are you going to get married? When are you going to give me grandchildren? You know, that's not particularly helpful. Uh, and consider the attitudes that you have as well. Uh, I knew a, she's now passed on now, a single older lady who was the head of a university academic department, so very bright, uh, a, a Christian, had done lots of things in her life, but she'd never married. I heard someone else refer to this particular lady and her, the fact that she wasn't married and make the comment, oh, what a horrible waste of a life. Now, you know, is that an attitude? You might not volunteer to others, but quietly have yourself. Parents, what is your primary concern for your kids? that they get married or that they grow up as followers of Jesus. Now, in one sense, we can't control either of those. If you're a parent, <laughs> it's up to, the, up to them in the end, isn't it? But I know I would much rather have my kids be Christians than get married. Um, what is our primary concern? So, there are a few thoughts there. Now, you, next topic is dating. What about dating as a single person? Well, it seems to me that dating is a cultural issue. As far as I'm aware, dating wasn't around in the first century. Uh, and so, as far as I'm concerned, dating seems to be a, what I would call a, a committed cross-gender friendship. And so, all the things that apply to friendship in the Scriptures and cross-gender relating in the Scriptures, I think would apply to dating. Now, I thought about this a bit, um, for what it's worth, before I got married, I had three girlfriends and I, I was Christians all the time, all the time, and so I sort of thought through this issue a lot back then. Here are a few questions for you. If you are dating someone, are you being a good friend to them? Because that's primarily what it is, it's a, it's a friendship. Secondly, if you're dating someone, are you helping or hindering their relationship with God? You obviously want to be helping it, don't you? Thirdly, are you trying to be kind or cool? I mean, if you can be cool and kind, great, but I mean, kindness is the priority, isn't it? Fourthly, are you praying for them? I mean, if not, why on earth aren't you? Now, uh, and fifthly, I thought it's really important, I think, to have clear physical boundaries. Because if you're, if you're dating, you're not married. So you won't be having sex if you're trying to live by the biblical teaching. Sex is best for, mar for marriage. In fact, you don't want to go anywhere near sex, I would suggest. There's a very helpful passage in 1 Timothy where Paul writes uh, to Timothy, treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So if you're dating you should be treating the other person with absolute purity. Uh, if you're the guy, the girl, the girl, the guy, whatever. Now, um, I think you want to keep things, here's my opinion, in the area of affection, not arousal. And I'm sure you know what I mean by that. So we need to take care. Now, we certainly need to take care. I, I have a Christian friend. Years ago, 
he was dating a girl at his church and uh, they assumed they were going to get married. So they thought, oh, look, we may as well start having sex now. So they did. And they ended up breaking up. And they ended up going off and marrying different people. Now, I'm still in contact with the guy. I, I don't quite know what's happened to the girl. But the guy is now married. Uh, he has children, involved in his church, doing great stuff there. Uh, but he said to me how much he regrets um, what he did when he was a lot younger. He doesn't sort of think, oh, wow, you know, got around and, you know, whatever. Uh, he regrets what he did. Now, I'm pretty sure he knows he's forgiven. He's forgiven for it, but he still regrets it. You know, let's, <laughs> why put yourself in that situation? The other thing I'd say, if you're going to date someone, date someone who's a follower of Jesus. Now, some of my best friends are not the people who aren't Christians, and I really like them, uh, but if you're going to date someone, um, you might be, you know, you want to date someone who's a follower of Jesus. Uh, over the last 40 years, I've watched Christians date non-Christians, and I can only think of two situations where the non-Christian has become a Christian. In the vast majority, I mean, I don't know whether it's 20, 30, 50, 100, 200, I didn't tally it up, it goes, it tends to go the other way. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you get to verse 39, it talks about a particular situation where a woman is deciding whether she may wish to marry. And Paul gives the advice, you can, but make sure that he belongs to the Lord. You know, if you're going to marry, marry someone who's a Christian. So, if you're going to marry and you're a Christian, marry someone who's a Christian. If you're going to date and you're a Christian, date someone who's a Christian. Now, here's something for all of us. Let's not give lousy advice to single people. Uh, a girl I know, who my wife and I are friends with, when she was in her late 20s, uh, she was very successful in her career, very interesting lady, Christian girl, involved in ministry and single, late 20s. So, apparently some of the older women from her church advised her just to marry a non-Christian. Now, can I say, old people often give us good advice, but that wasn't an example of it. That was absolute rubbish advice, which just made things harder for her, uh, and fortunately, she ignored it. Uh, but, you know, not everyone will quite have that resolve. And now, for another thing for all of us, uh, and I think this is helpful for whoever we are, let's make the church a place which is committed to friendships. You see, marriage is not the only place where intimacy uh, and closeness can be found. Uh, real friendships, whether it be with people of your same gender or across gender or whatever, can be things of real depth and really enjoyable and, and helpful. Uh, often we think of King David in the Old Testament, he had a very close relationship with Jonathan. Uh, often you hear accounts of, you know, from the war, you know, people who are in the same regiment, they were fighting in the trenches together and men became very close to each other. You know, that suffering and going through that together made them very, form really strong bonds of friendship. I was listening to a podcast, a cricket podcast during the week, and uh, there's an interview with a South African cricketer called Herschel Gibbs. Some of you may remember him. He was, you know, the bad boy of South African cricket about 15 years ago. But he opened the batting for South Africa for about, I don't know, a number of years with a guy called Gary Kirsten. Now, if you're an opening batsman in cricket, it's quite a, um, a scary thing because you're facing all the best fast bowlers in the world when you're playing. And, uh, you know, so you, you sort of take your, <laughs> your, your life on, not life on the line, but, you know, your well-being on the line every time you bat. And apparently, uh, Herschel Gibbs and Gary Kirsten became really good friends. And Herschel was saying that when he heard that Gary Kirsten had played his last test and was retiring, he cried for the whole day. I thought, that's interesting, isn't it? Obviously, they'd been through a lot together, they had that depth of relationship. But why leave it to wars and sport to have that sort of relationship? Wouldn't it be great if our church here 
was full of close friendships and relationships, you know, across the ages, whether you're married or non-married, married with non-married, non-married with married, you know, etc. The whole thing, it, it, wouldn't it be great if our church was a place for relationships? That's just so helpful for everything. And then the final thing I'm just going to mention here, I've talked about it already, uh, living Christianly as, as, as single people, let's make sure we're devoted to ministry. Now, I read, in conclusion, I read a book in the last week called The Seven Myths of Singleness by a guy called Sam Albury, which is a very good book and if you want to think about this further, I'd recommend it to you. Um, actually, Sam Albury is a same-sex attracted single Christian and he helpfully writes, the key to contentment as a single person is not trying to make singleness something that will satisfy us, it is to find contentment in Christ as a single person. So, whoever we are, single or otherwise, let's look for our ultimate contentment, significance in Christ. And whether we are single, dating or married, let's take the advice of verse 35 of our reading to heart and that is that we should live in undivided devotion to the Lord. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray that all of us, in whatever our life situation is, would live in undivided devotion to You, we would ultimately find our significance in You and whatever situation You have us in, help us to serve You and to love others in ways appropriate to our situations in life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.